Representative Don Kiefer comes from a long line of small business entrepreneurs and community leaders. And, as you'll hear, she's passionate about clearing the barriers erected by government that hinder people from pursuing the American dream right here in Pennsylvania. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, President of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. I am in Lewisbury, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, part of the 92nd Legislative District, and uh, Representative Don Kiefer is with me here. Yes, thanks for coming and joining us here. You bet. Uh, at Crosswater Distillery, uh, it's, uh, I think, a relatively new uh, distillery here and serving food. Uh, but I, as we were talking with the owner before we started here, uh, they're selling in the state store, so at a uh, level that... Uh, can access. Uh, you know, I know that's a high threshold for folks. It is. Fortunately for local and Pennsylvania distilleries, you know, it's not quite as arduous as it is one of the big commercial venues. So they've been able to get into some stores statewide and um, they've built some little markets, niche markets throughout the state. Well, that's what uh, that's what's neat. I love being at places like this, these small business people that uh, think they can you know, create something that people want, and, uh, you know, it's the free market at work. Right, right. Well, Don, I appreciate your coming on to talk about, uh, well, first, let's get into some of your background uh, and how you ended up uh, running for the state house, winning in 2016, and uh, some of your priorities. But uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, how'd you grow up? So I grew up in Gettysburg, Gettysburg, uh-huh. Pennsylvania, so Adams County. Um, blue-collar family. My dad was a diesel mechanic. My mom worked in um, the hospital as a dietary tech. And um, just hard-working family. Uh, I come from uh, families of small businesses, uh-huh. a lot of small businesses. Um, my father-in-law has a uh, mechanic business. My sister-in-law owns a day spa. Um, my uncle has a small grocery store. So it runs the full it's gamut. It's in the blood, huh? Yes. In the blood, the small business right. uh, idea. So uh, did you guys grow up in a, a politically active family? Where so, where'd politics uh, come in? I would say a very uh, community-oriented family. Mm-hmm. So I grew up, I always say, I grew up between the fire company and the American Legion. My dad has served every board position there was in the Gettysburg American Legion. My mom is in the Women's Auxiliary of the Fire Company. So, you know, we they drug us along to whatever it was, and we volunteered. Uh-huh. So whether it was like Sunday soup sales or working dinners, fire hall dinners, whatever it was, we just always volunteered. Mm-hmm. And my, on that same token, my parents worked at the polls. Okay. So uh, working at the polls, I remember uh, getting a call from my mom saying, hey, I haven't seen Jane you know, Smith up here yet. Call her. I'd be <laughs> going through the phone book on okay. the rotary dial, calling up, you know, Mrs. Smith, my mom said you haven't come to vote. And, you know, the polls are going to close at 8 o'clock. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so just being involved in the community, right. I, I guess, uh, uh, connected you in, in that way. Uh, I know you went far away from uh, to college, right? Well, I went to uh, George Mason University. Okay. So uh, I will say my goal, growing up in Adams County, when I applied to colleges, I'll tell you, any, any, anything near a city. Uh-huh. That was my goal. <laughs> so I had applied to uh, George Washington's where I really wanted to go, and my dad put the kibosh on that right away. It was too, too much of a city for him. Uh-huh. Um, and we went down to Towson in, in Maryland, and again, too much of a city. And fortunately, Fairfax, uh, Virginia, where mm-hmm. George Mason is, was not quite as built up. So uh, my dad saw that as, oh, okay, it's 
little urban and, you know, not quite. So he thought that was a good fit, and it was a nice medium ground that we, we came to there. And so what, what ended up bringing you back to Pennsylvania? Did you come back after college? and uh... yeah. So I married my high school sweetheart, uh-huh. um, and he was Pennsylvania State in the state police. I was living down there and thought I was going to stay there. Loved it um, until you kind of look around. It is a bit of a rat race. Uh It's not some place where I'd want to raise children. And um, you look at what you're making uh, down there compared to what you can make here and what you can, you know, what you can get for your dollar. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I I came back to my roots. I initially moved back once I got engaged, moved to the Poconos after college with my husband because that was his first station. Okay. Um, And then we worked our way back down to central Pennsylvania. Dillsburg is where I ended up because uh, we were 20 miles from home from Gettysburg Uh and I was working in Harrisburg at the time. So 20 miles to Harrisburg, 20 miles to Gettysburg. It was a good middle ground for us. Now you've had some uh, small business background in your experience as well. What I like to say the the signing of the front of a paycheck as well, right? right? right. Not just the back of one. So I had a consulting business uh, probably right out of the gate doing a lot of political consulting and public relations, uh, initially starting with Mike Fisher in 96, okay. uh, working on his attorney general race mm-hmm. that he had. And then uh, from there, just you know, word of mouth, I was picking up a lot of different members, fundraising for him, and then got into uh, a lot of public relations. So I was working with Shortline Railroads. Okay. Uh, and it was when Conrail split. So Norfolk Southern had bought a, a large piece of it, but then some of the short lines picked up pieces of it. So I was opening up a dormant line that ran from Harrisburg up through New York. Mm-hmm. So I had to go up through all the municipalities in Pennsylvania in that northeast corridor and work with all the, all the different elected officials trying to uh, get the public awareness out there that this line was going to be fully functioning up and operating, but, you know... Um, it was received well in some areas, not so well in other areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, negotiating that gave you a great landscape of Pennsylvania, uh, all of the different uh, communities that you have here. It's a pretty diverse mm-hmm. state. At, at, at what point uh, did you uh, ever think, I want to run for office? Uh, you know, uh, in all your years, uh, was there a political bug early on or was that something that came later? Well, I always I always loved politics. Mm-hmm. So uh, in college, I was an intern for Bill Goodling, who was a congressman mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've always been active and engaged. I don't know that I was necessarily thinking I would run. I like the operative and the strategy part of it. I love you know, winning that whole uh, game and fighting it all. Yeah, you're and a competitor, aren't you? A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. And um, so I, I don't necessarily say that until I got as a small business owner uh, myself and then probably more so uh, with family members as they would go through the different issues. And I was helping them uh, from a government side of things and connections I had. And then my husband had a has a small business. He is a custom motorcycle builder. Mm. And... Um, Every agency I ever and never <laughs> thought that I would have to deal with in that business, it, it just floored me, absolutely floored me. And that's what my tipping point was, just thinking, you know, here's somebody working two jobs at the time, mm-hmm. uh, heads down, and that that's that's the case with all of uh, my family businesses, the heads down, and they roll over and just take this, mm-hmm. uh, this new rule, this new reg, and they just spend the money, they comply, they, it costs them more to fight it and challenge it than it would to um, just pay the bill mm-hmm. and, and do whatever it mm-hmm. is they have to do. 
And, and does that drive a lot of the things that you do is recognizing the hurdles that we put in front or barriers uh, in many cases in front of small businesses? Absolutely. That's, that's my biggest driver, I will tell you. Um, drives me crazy. And especially uh, my colleagues, my Republican conservative mm-hmm. colleagues will say, listen, it's not a big deal. All they have to do is fill out this form and they'll just have to do this or that. Or we need, uh, one of the first things when I came in was we were going to license plumbers. Mm-hmm. And I had just gotten off of the campaign trail and thinking, I knocked on over 5,000 doors. Not one person said to me, you know, you know what you got to do? you got to license plumbers. Yeah, I keep getting these bad plumbers yeah, in my house. Right. Like and I said, we don't even license electricians. I mean, they could technically, I guess, burn down your house. But at the end of the day, what's that going to do for you? Let's just say they are licensed mm-hmm. and they do a shoddy job. Mm-hmm. What are you going to get out mm-hmm. of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because those that are going to comply, right, they're, they're already reputable businesses. It's those that are not reputable businesses, they're not going to go apply, go comply anyway, right? right? It, so it's just one more hurdle. And, and I go back to, so my husband's uncle was a contractor and did very well at it. But in the wintertime, you got laid off, right? But if you had skills, like if you could pick up a hammer, and he did, like he did plumbing, he did electrical, he did all kinds of things, and they lived quite well mm-hmm. on that kind of lifestyle. But now he has to be registered with the attorney general, just a contractor's number, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you go into this municipality, you have to have another license. Or, or this county, you have to have this. It's ridiculous. It, mm-hmm. It's And it's not for consumer protection, in my opinion. And it's not for public safety. I'm not saying we don't need those things. This is just one more layer of bureaucracy that costs us all, yeah. and, it, and it thwarts individual independent businesses. Well, and frequently it's uh, put out there by those that want to keep other competitors from entering the marketplace, correct? I Absolutely. Mean, they're, they're a nuisance. Yeah. So not even that they're a legitimate competitor. They're not competing at, at the level of, like, say, a Walmart or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's a nuisance for them, mm-hmm. right? So my uncle was one of the last independent grocers in York County, shut down uh, his store not this past spring, but the spring before. Mm-hmm. And the hurdles he jumps through and the unlevel uh, playing field that he has is ridiculous. So he has to get a floor plan for all of his products in his mm-hmm. store uh, versus, and then he's got to compete with Walmart who does not do a floor per- plan. They don't pay for any product until it's purchased. It goes out the door, right? So you, they come in and say, well, I can get this bottle of soda for 99 cents mm-hmm. at Walmart. Mm-hmm. And why can't you give it to me, you know, for the same price here? It's, um, you know, it's a different... A different level that you're trying to compete at. Yeah, sometimes I, I, I say big anything uh, is a, a big uh, a problem for us, whether it's big government or big business, because big business uh, tends to put up uh, barriers for the small guys, for the little guys, right. for, the, for the one that's trying to, you know, hey, start a distillery, right? right. Uh, and uh, the big guys will do what they can to, to prevent uh, competition from entering the marketplace. And really, that's what America capital, American capitalism has always been about is allowing the guy who thinks they have the the, uh, the best uh, newest mousetrap right uh, to enter the marketplace and compete right. and it seems that uh, government has come alongside big business uh, or folks who can think hey we can use government to uh, prevent some competition here well look at uh, what even even the oils oil right so you have these guys that do have a, a small well on their mm-hmm. property and they do like what 15, 20 barrels of oil, and you had the oil companies coming in saying, no, they got to comply with the same rules and regs and standards yeah. as we do. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Well, and that's a way, of course, uh, to, to uh, uh, lower the competition that you've right. got in the marketplace. So uh, what, what are the other issues that are of great importance to you that you say, you know what, we need to tackle this particular problem. This would make a big difference in, in Pennsylvania. So 
getting government out of the way. Government drives me crazy. Um, <laughs> they're not your end all be all. And that's that's the biggest thing that I find that it's not a, even a partisan issue. Both sides grow government leaps and bounds like they're the solution to mm -hmm. everything and you know I remember having someone come into my office and they said what you need to do is you need to you should be taxing this so that we could provide this service and that service and I said how about this how about we let you keep your money and then you can determine what you want to buy for yourself instead mm -hmm. of me taking it you assume that we'll spend it better than you because have you looked at our track mm -hmm. record? We haven't done such a great job. So that's my biggest frustration is every time we turn around, we're looking to government to solve something. Mm -hmm. And we never do anything effectively, absolutely never efficiently, right? Right. Um, and and it, it, it just stifles everything. And and it's we've gotten to the generation that we're at where we're, we're completely just... Um, uh, dependent, right? We can't do anything for ourselves, and that's not what we were founded on, right? We're very resourceful, and when our communities, we would take care of each other. Uh, we could do it at our local level, but now we keep reaching out to big government yeah. to do it all, that all these other ones have dissipated or have bought into the big government's yeah. way. Yeah, let government uh, do that rather right. than solving the problems ourselves. Uh, I know that one of the things that you're uh, uh, really passionate about is the Taxpayer Protection Act, uh, seeing that, hey, if we limit the growth of government, maybe that forces uh, us to actually deal with our problems rather than always turning to Harrisburg uh, right. to find more money. Uh, talk about the Taxpayer Protection Act. I know you've written about that right. uh, and that uh, that's something that's important to your agenda. So I'll tell you, coming in, I, came, I felt like I came into this office pretty seasoned because I have worked in government yep. and I had done a lot of consulting with government. So I thought I, I knew a lot until I, the budget <laughs> time came. And um, we didn't get a lot of information, and I'm a researcher by nature, so yep. I dig into, I want to know the where's and how and why everything works the way it does, and whenever I got balance sheets or what they call the balance sheets and tracking runs, I thought, the numbers aren't the same and they don't match up, and it's a completely different way of financing that uh, we do in Pennsylvania compared to how you would take care of your, uh, of your checkbook, but the, at the end of the day, what we do here is so we pass a budget right i vote on it as an elected member and let's just say that budget was 32 and a half billion dollars mm -hmm. and now um the governor overspends by a billion dollars, mm -hmm. and there's no real checks or balances or measures across the board along the way. To say, yeah, he hands you a bill at the end of the fiscal year and says, right. hey, uh, sorry, I overspent, right? Yeah, it's not my fault. You didn't yeah. give me enough money or whatever. I don't know what the deal was because I'm, I'm a rank-and-file member, so I'm not privy to those conversations. However, I do know what I did vote on mm -hmm. or what I didn't vote mm -hmm. on. And But what happens is so the governor overspends, and then we pass the next budget, with that, and they call it an augmentation, so or a supplemental. supplemental uh, sorry, yes. supplemental. And so we'll put that supplemental in there. And so now, when we say, okay, the next year's budget is thirty-four mm -hmm. billion dollars, right? You're thinking, wow, that's one point five billion more, and it's whatever percent. They'll say, oh no, no, they add in that overspend. So if the governor overspent by half a billion dollars, they'll say, no, no, it's not one point five. It's only one one yeah, billion more. Right. That's all it is. And, it's not. And, and we need to, if you look at the growth of our budget, it has just been astronomical. Yeah. I mean, Rendell was completely reckless and out of control, but it hasn't gotten any better. And we're not doing anything to keep it in control. So the Taxpayer Protection Act would say you can't spend money. You can't increase the budget any mm -hmm. greater than the taxpayer's ability to pay, mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. So it's the rate of inflation multiplied by population. And it's a three-year average that you that we would be using mm -hmm. for that. It would, it, And we got more specific this time, so there couldn't be any game, uh, games played where we say specifically 
the budget number that was passed. Yeah. Without the supplemental, the increase cannot be greater than the rate of inflation times um, population growth. Mm-hmm. And it would just set at least, at least yeah. put that stopgap there. But you're running into kind of bipartisan opposition, it seems. Uh, I know that the House has passed that in the past, correct? We passed yeah. it last year. Uh-huh. Uh, the Senate did not take it up, died in appropriations. Okay. Um, and uh, this year it was on the calendar to be voted on, and then it has been tabled again. So, uh, and Seems like everybody likes to spend a little too much. Right. Right. That's exactly the problem. And, and you know, uh, so a couple, I know I heard the county commissioners, uh, I read in one of their things, they were opposed to it. Um, I read another one of the unions were opposed sure, to it. Sure. But there's also a measure in the TPA that says, you know, if, if we happen to have a recession or if we have something, an emergency, right, of, an some emergency sort, yeah. of some sort, that you can increase spending greater than the rate of inflation with a two-thirds vote. Okay. I believe um, the Warner bill is a little bit more than two-thirds. Uh, the the Bartolotta bill that's in the Senate is two-thirds vote. So mm-hmm. there's there's a mechanism in place If you can make the you, case that, right? uh, hey, hey, we need to spend more, it's an emergency, yeah, you'll get the votes for that. circumstances yeah. that you can do that. So there is something in place, but I don't know how you legitimately go back and argue and say, oh, this yeah. is a bad bill. Yeah. We should be able to spend whatever Whatever we want, we should be able to spend. Well, it makes common sense to the average taxpayer, but unfortunately the taxpayers can't hire up all the lobbyists that the special interests can that profit from a massive growth of government. So this is your challenge is that you're working on the part of the taxpayers, but uh, they don't have the lobbyists crawling the halls. Okay, so they don't, but I think the taxpayers have more power than they think, and they need to be educated, and they need to make themselves aware, and they need to contact their legislators and hold them accountable. When people talk about term limits, we have term limits. Go to the polls and vote. And here's an issue specifically. Call your legislator and ask them, where are you at on this? Mm -hmm. Are you voting yes or no? Mm -hmm. I mean, grassroots is something I did in my consulting business, and that was one of my, my big pushes for businesses in general. It's like you've got to be engaged. I know it takes time, but you've got to think of putting that time in with relationships with those that you've put into office that are going to dictate how the future of your business, mm-hmm. right? You've got to hold them accountable. And that you've got to think of that as part of your business plan and how you're going to take care of that, just like you do your finances, just like you do your building maintenance, whatever your plan is. That's got to be part of your plan. You have to be engaged, and apathy is our worst enemy. Uh, I couldn't have said it better that, uh, I mean, apathy has gotten us to the place that we're at where you have legislators that will campaign on reducing government spending, right, no taxes, but then their behavior in Harrisburg uh, doesn't match that, uh, which uh, uh, is troubling, of course, uh, for those that uh, want to hold, you know, believe the promises made on the campaign trail or what they will do uh, once they're in office. Uh, Now, I know you've tackled uh, and were part of some of the efforts to really shine the light uh, on the shadow budget. Right. Um, Can you explain what the shadow budget is? You even kind of use that $32 billion number as... That's more like the general fund budget, That's only but we the spend uh, like fifty Four. billion or forty billion more than that on the shadow budget. What, what, explain the shadow budget. And that's the gig. Yeah, that is the gig, and <laughs> and and that's what lobbyists are more than aware of, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's the goal of everybody, including all the agencies and entities. Let's take our money offline. Mm-hmm. So, the thirty-two, thirty-four billion dollars that we're up to, which is the general fund budget. Okay, mm-hmm. that's general fund. We spend an additional. It's over forty billion offline and I'm not kidding there's not a week I'm in session where there's not a bill that creates a new special fund mm. and that's my pet peeve I'm always trying to blow those up anytime I see them and those would be like you've got the lottery fund uh, that's offline so you got all the lottery money that goes in there 
you as a legislator have no, no appropriation or so I have no true, vote, yeah. no yeah. control, nothing other than a report. Yeah. And, and the lottery, motor license fund would be another one, right? Motor license uh, yeah. fund. There's a multimodal uh -huh. fund, the transportation trust fund, and those some of those don't make aren't completely irrational, or yeah. like the pension fund, yeah. right? That should sit in its own special fund. But then we've got like 10 different water funds. We've got a storage tank fund. Mm. I always say, I've got a fund for that. <laughs> um, every time we turn around, well, we just try to do a school bus fund, uh, which I blew up and, and pushed it into the general fund uh -huh. budget as a special dedicated. I want it to go across our desk. Right. I want the voters to see that spending taking place. Because in addition, there's another thing the shadow budget does. Number one, um, the money never um, is, it always accrues in there, right? right? So it does not go back into the general Whether fund Whether they budget. need it or not, right? If, right. If, they yeah, get it. Yeah. So like the 911 fund, we mm -hmm. increased that fund by a dollar a few years ago. And they that fund was about a $70 million fund. They estimated with the new fee on the cell phones, it was going to raise it to about $100 million. Mm -hmm. It raised it to $140 million. Now, I don't know if anybody's looked at their 911 centers yeah. lately. Mine's a train wreck in York. Mm. Um, so, and in addition, they get to take 6%, according to statute, just goes to admin. So now that 6%, it's doubled. Yeah. It's doubled. And, and again, the money just accrues in there and never goes back to the general fund budget. It accrues interest. That interest stays there. Mm -hmm. And now we also created a cash flow issue as well. So all these all these funds sit over here in these special funds. It's not in our general funds. So we just recently, we were down pretty low in our budget. We will borrow. We'll borrow from those special funds mm -hmm. and pay interest back to them. We're borrowing money from ourselves <laughs> and paying interest. And I said, if that money were in our general fund, right? We wouldn't have that cash right. flow issue. We wouldn't have to raise taxes. We wouldn't. Uh, you right. would be able to spend money and, that we've already paid into the and, in and, the government. And right? just because you know Representative George, you know Smith, right from in 1973, thought this was a great idea. I might th think it's a great idea. So why shouldn't I have the opportunity right. to vote on that? Priorities change, uh, and some you know I think that that should be reflected with a the legislators that are in office. Mm -hmm. What uh, Any other things that uh, uh, you hope to get done here? I know our, our, our time is short. Yes. Uh, you've got um, election coming up, and of course, that always uh, creates uh, maybe perverse incentives uh, for yeah. folks of not wanting to take tough votes. Um, but what, what do you think that we can get done, uh, particularly in, in a, a, a heavy re-election year? Of course, the president uh, is going to be spending a lot of time in Pennsylvania. Uh, we know a lot of money is going to be coming in for these elections. Uh, are there some policy things that you think we can accomplish? So the pension reform will be coming up this week. I think that's something that we could get out of the gate. Some just good fiscal uh, practices that are in place in the private sector that we need to bring back to the table in our pension funds, as you know, they because are. we we did some reforms, but not we haven't solved the problem. Uh, we bear, right? we yeah. I mean, we we put yeah. a small little yeah. uh, nick in it, but not we haven't taken uh, some real measures in it. So I have some stress testing legislation that would require them to stress test the system to see what it would look like to get a future perspective of what those uh, funds would look like under a another recession, um, so that legislators can make an educated decision mm -hmm. when they're making pensions decisions. Mm -hmm. There's also some transparency that's not there. We pay a ton in fee yes. fees. We pay our fund managers like hedge fund managers. Now, didn't didn't uh, uh, Governor Wolf, as candidate Wolf, uh, the first go around, uh, talk about um, reforming that, that, hey, we're, we're spending way too much. Uh, why hasn't he taken action 
to uh, get rid of that? I mean, what, what, what's going on there? Because I think everybody recognizes that uh, if you just uh, invested in, uh, you know, Vanguard, right. you'd actually have much lower fees and even better performance. Correct. Uh, and so we haven't, uh, at, the, at the legislative level, given him things. I mean, I, I believe there's some things he could do at an executive yep, level, right. um, but I don't know how much control uh, he has over those boards. He or certainly isn't taking. talking about, uh, no. you know, wanting to have that so kind of power. So we need to put this on his desk. Yeah. We need to put it in front of him. And, and there you go. He, this is what you said you wanted to do here. We're teeing it up for you. But you know what? We need to. We, we are in the majority in both the House and Senate. Why are we not yeah. getting these to his yeah. desk to sign? These are some easy things. These are good fiscal sound. Should not be a partisan yeah. issue. I mean, the pension stability uh, is everybody's interest. Sure, uh, particularly if we're going to keep the promises that we've made, that the benefits people have earned, that we can actually pay them. Because we know there are municipalities around the country uh, that are saying, well, we can't pay these. We're out of money. Right. And and that's, that is the false perception that's yeah. there. People don't think that this can go bankrupt. Right. You know, look across the country. They have yeah. The systems have Detroit, yeah, and we've, we'll probably even have some municipalities uh, in Pennsylvania that right. are looking at whether they can uh, pay out what they've promised the, their employees. Right. So to me, it's about making sure that we keep the promises that we've made. But, hey, going forward, we have got to have a more uh, stable uh, financial situation. Right, and we got to put some of these mechanisms in place that we at least control have some good control mechanisms in place that we can look at what we're doing. We're making sound decisions. We are being good fiscal stewards of what we've been entrusted with. And, and these are not difficult measures that we're trying yeah, to put in place yeah. here. So Common sense in the private sector a long, long time ago. It's about time they were brought to government. Right. Well, well, Representative Don Kiefer of 92nd Legislative District here in York, uh, I appreciate your taking time to, to come on Brews and Views. Uh, while we don't have a brew, we got views, uh, but we are enjoying uh, this, these distilled spirits here uh, at uh, Crosswater Distillery. So yes, thank you for coming on. Yes, thanks for coming to the 92nd. You bet. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.